Good morning. My name is Ben, and I'm at the Jubilee Centre, which is apparent, I think, from the flags that are behind us here. So we're recording upstairs this week, and it's my privilege to bring the Word of God to us today. I'm hoping you're ready to receive that, and hoping your heart is open to hear what he has to say to you today. So we are in James, and we're continuing to look at this subject of trials. Through Dan and Rich's help, we looked at those trials of life. And James has counted as pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds because it produces perseverance. It increases our faith. And with Rich's help, we've looked at the fact that there are other trials in terms of richness or poverty or position or lack thereof. And how we handle those are really important. They can be trials. But today, James is inviting us to look at a different type of trial that we face. And those are the trials that come from within, from our inner desires, from our inner being, through our identity, our emotions. He's saying there is a battle to be won. There are trials that come from within and we need to win those battles. We need to defeat those trials. We need to push through. And with James's help today, we're going to look at what it means and what we can do to defeat those trials from within. So let's read the passage. We're in James 1 and we're going to read from verse 12 to verse 18. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James, I think, gives us four ways of dealing with our inner desires, of dealing with the battle that comes from within. So we're going to look at that four ways this morning. We're going to start with number one, that's keeping your eye on the goal. To push through difficulties, to push through challenges, to push through hardships, we need to look at the end goal. And I've noticed that people who diet have some degree of success, but may fail. But if they've got an end goal in sight, it makes a huge difference. If there is, for instance, a wedding coming up and they want to fit in that nice suit or more likely that dress that they bought, which was slightly smaller than the size they currently are, that motivates them. It helps them make particular choices because there's an end goal in mind. So they will restrict the amount of calories that come in their mouth in order that they can reach the goal of fitting into the smaller dress. The end goal motivates us. Runners have the same thing. Athletes, they're training for competitions. There's a medal, there's a goal in mind. So they will discipline themselves. They will make decisions that seem crazy to get up ridiculous hours in the morning to train. It's because there's a goal in mind. And it's the same for us. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We make sacrifices now in this life for future glory. We look ahead to the goal. We look ahead to what's planned, what God has promised. And we make decisions about our life. We beat our body. We make decisions that to other people outside this world may seem crazy. A commitment to personally walking with Christ. Getting up early, maybe, to spend time with him. Building the church, giving time to volunteer in projects within church life. People may look in and say, that's a bit weird. Why don't you live more for yourself? We say, no, discipline is at work. There is a bigger goal ahead. And it was the same for Jesus in Hebrews 12, verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. Why? Because the joy set before him, the promise of a people of his own, the glory that would come on the back of his sacrifice, he endured the cross. So James says to us, if we want to be those who persevere through trials without, with us or within, we need to look at the end goal. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We've got a heavenly goal. We've got a heavenly destiny. We need to be focused on that. When we're going through trials, we need to realize that glory awaits and we push through knowing what arrives on the other side of those challenges. Number one, keep your eye on the goal. Number two, now these aren't snappy titles, I apologize, they're more descriptive. Realize where the temptation comes from and what it leads to. Realize where the temptation comes from and what it leads to. We can often give in to temptation and we blame something or someone else. Now kids, have you ever seen your parents get a little bit angry? No. Yeah, my, my kids are all shaking their head now. Now, parents, let me say something that might sound controversial. Children, your children's actions can't make you angry. They can't make you angry. That actually is a choice we make. On the back of a difficult situation, challenging situation, we choose to let anger rise up. It may be the case in a work situation, it may be the case in other family situations. In a conversation or discussion, it leads to an argument and tempers rise and anger comes out. No one can actually make you angry. It may be understandable, it may even be justifiable, but actually we are responsible we have been tempted and we choose to give in to that temptation. James is clear. Fundamentally, giving in to temptation comes from the evil desires within. Verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
James is also clear about where the process leads to. He says it comes from within and it leads to death. The next verse, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. In Genesis three, we see the serpent lying to Eve, deceiving Eve, tempting Eve. Did God really say that you die? This is a temptation for Eve. You're missing out on true life. You're missing out on something new. You're missing out on something that's gonna enrich your life. But in the reality, God wasn't lying. It led to death and every temptation leads to death. When our evil desires are enticed and we give in to temptation, it leads to death. You see, sin and temptation lies to us. It says, look, come, I'll give you life. I'll give you energy. I'll satisfy you. Come, just for a moment. Come and do it. But we know on the other side of giving in to that temptation, only death welcomes us. That morbid, sad, remorseful, repentful heart you think, why did I do that? It didn't give me life. It lied. It promised me life, but it didn't deliver. We need to realize where temptation comes from. We need to realize what it leads to. Sin never produces life. Temptation never produces life. It comes from the evil desires within us. And it leads to death. If we're gonna defeat the trial within, we need to realize this. What else do we need to do? We need to deal with our desire, not just with our deeds and our actions. We need to deal with our desire. There are things we can do to help us deal with temptation. There's practical things we do. I mean, the Bible speaks about it. Proverbs 5, 8, talking about the wayward woman. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. So it's not, don't go into her bedroom. It's not, don't sleep with her. It's actually take a step back. Keep to a path far from her. Don't go down her street. And there are things we can do if we struggle with sin and struggle with temptation. If there are particular things that beset our lives, we can take a step back from those things. We can remove ourselves, put two or three, four steps in place in order to deal with that temptation. For devices, for the, if you struggle with what you see on devices that leads you astray, you can put accountability software on there. You can speak to a friend and ask him or her to keep you accountable to what you've looked at. Or if you struggle with eating the wrong foods and overeating or comfort eating, maybe you need to not have those things in your house. You take a step, a step away from you. There are practical things we can do to help us deal with temptation and with sin. But what would James say to us today? This is what I think he would say. Look deep inside yourself and deal with desire. Look deep inside yourself and deal with desire. I think there's two ways we can do that. The first is this, to ask ourselves quite a deep question. What unfulfilled desire is being met in an ungodly way? When we're tempted, when we're sinning, there's a desire that's being met, but it's been met in the wrong way. For instance, with seeing things on screen that are inappropriate, often that can be to do with a need to be in control. Life's kind of getting out of control. Things are getting away from me, and this means I can control something. 
control what I see. Or it could be pure escapism. Life's so hard and so difficult, I just need to get away from it, and oh, I've just looked at it again. And again, with food, there could be a level of escapism. It's been a, been a horrible week. I don't want to think about these things. I'm just going to focus on the food and it's going to bring me some physical surge of sugar and make me feel better temporarily. Or maybe it's going to food out of comfort. I've had a tough day or I've been rejected or I'm not feeling good about myself, so I'm going to eat. And we've got to look at the desire inside that's being met. How can we meet those through godly means? Now, I don't want to give you all the solutions today, but I want to encourage you, go away and think about it. What is the desire that I'm trying to meet in the wrong way? If I'm trying to escape, what am I trying to escape from? How, who should I go to to escape? What is a godly way of satisfying that desire? And the second question is this. If you're constantly battling with the same temptation and the same sin, you need to ask, what do I really desire? In other words, there may be an evil desire within you. And that needs to be pushed out by another desire. You can't simply dial it down. You've tried doing that, but it won't reduce. So you have to find another desire to push it out. You've got to fuel a godly desire. You've got to look inside and see what's going on and understand it and deal with it. We've got to find a commitment to God, a commitment to him and what he can do for us and the way he can change us. Let me give you an example. Kids, have you ever fought over a toy with a friend or with your sister? Now, parents, there are a few ways of dealing with this. I'm going to give you a little bit of parenting tip here. Now, you could be, I don't know. Let's go extreme example first. Maybe, maybe your kids are fighting over a, a dolly. Um, and you go to, what? I'm fed up of you fighting. That's it. We're getting rid of this. And that's how you deal with it. Actually, that's not going to work. Your anger coming out is actually your, but getting back to your evil desires. It's getting back to your temptation. But with our children, when they're fighting, when they're fighting with their friends and disagreeing, what can we do? Well, we can try and apply some biblical wisdom. Maybe we go back to Solomon. Maybe we say, right, kids, I'm going to uh, split this dolly in half. And uh, then you can have half each. Now, I've worked out that that Solomon example doesn't tend to work with the children, um, especially if you're working with something like Lego or some sort of construction device, because they go, that's fine, we'll just have half each and play with it. So it doesn't resolve the problem. It doesn't get to the deeper issue. So that, this is what we, on our good days, try and do. And this is just an example for us all to think about how we approach life and deal with our desires. So if two of my daughters are fighting over something, I'll try and do this. I'll say, girls, there's an opportunity now to recognize what's going on here. You see, you're both being selfish. You're both looking at what you want. That's your focus. There's a desire in you to have what you want. But actually, there's an opportunity here to love your sister. It's an opportunity here to be selfless, to give away. And nine times out of 10, it totally changes the atmosphere. But what I'm doing as well is teaching them what's going on inside. What's going on inside? And the other thing I'll do is this. If it's getting really bad, if there's lots of bickering and lots of fighting, I'll talk to them again. I'll say, what kind of sisters do you want to be? Do you want to be sisters that fight? 
Or do you want to be sisters that are friends? Now there's always only one answer to that question. It might take them a few minutes to come round to it, but they always want to be sisters that are friends. And yes, that's partly anger, but it's also desire. I'm fueling in them a greater desire for friendship than for fighting. A greater desire to be connected and, and therefore be selfless. So rather than fighting for themselves and what they want, they're saying, no, I've got a bigger desire. I'm letting this bigger desire for friendship with my sisters push out the selfish desire. I hope that works as an illustration to help you understand about James' encouragement here to deal with, to deal with the inner desires. We need to look at what unfulfilled desires being met in an ungodly way. And we look at what do I really desire? And we make sure, we put a heart. And actually, if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, your genuine desire is to walk in a godly way with him. That's what it is. You've just got to articulate it to yourself. You've just got to realize it in a clear and precise way. What I want is to walk with Jesus in a holy, pure way. What I want is him and his glory. That's what I really want. And that as you fuel that desire, it's gonna decrease the evil desires in your life. When we do this, it helps us push through and pass temptation and defeat those trials that we're in. What's the fourth thing then? James would say this to us, remember God's goodness and his good gifts to us. Let's read verses 16 and 17. Don't be deceived. There's a possibility we could be deceived, guys. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. We can be tempted by good things and call them bad. That's deception. James says, don't be deceived. God has given us good gifts. Let me give you a couple of illustrations using myself. Work is a good gift from God. Pre-fall, Adam in the garden, what did God ask him to do? He said, work, work the garden, tend the garden, look after it. This is before sin. Work is a godly thing, it's a gift. We're called to work, I'm called to work. It's a good thing. Also, I love Running, exercise, going out in the peaks and running. I absolutely love it. It's life-giving for me. It helps me um, in so many ways. I genuinely love it. It's a good gift from God. They are not bad. They are gifts from God and are good. Our evil desires are the issue. You see, if I want to get recognition, if I get my identity from my productivity... If my identity is insecure, then I'm going to look to work to satisfy that evil desire. I'm going to look to the wrong things to produce identity and a sense of purpose and a sense of worth. I'm going to go directly to work rather than him. And so work becomes something that can create a temptation, that can produce um, uh, sin within me. Because instead of giving myself to God and his, what he calls me into and what he says about me, I'm trying to get my recognition from work, which means I work too hard. Which means I can have a tendency to workaholism. It may not look like it, but if I'm getting my identity from work, it is dangerous. Now work is good. It's not bad. I'm not going to call work bad. It's a gift from God. 
but it's my evil desires that, or my identity or my brokenness that can make those things seem bad. But it's not with running. If I want to get my identity from a better PB, if I get my sense of self-worth from getting a higher ranking on a Strava segment, ooh, I love going up at the ranking on a Strava segment. It does make me happy. If that's where I'm getting my identity and my self-worth from, do you know something? It's gonna become an idol to me. I'm gonna think about it too much. I'm gonna to train too much. I'm gonna to run too much. I'm gonna be absent from my family too much because I'm giving my energy and my time and my thoughts and my desires to something more than that it deserves. Running is good, exercise is good. Paul says that elsewhere, doesn't he? Exercise is good. But when it takes the place of God, when we're getting our self-worth from exercise or from work or from anything else, in fact, and we start calling it bad, we start seeing it as bad, we're deceiving ourselves. James says, don't deceive yourselves. These things are good. It's the evil desires that are at work that changes it. And let's not forget, James says, he's the father of lights. He never changes. He is good. He gives us good gifts. He's always been good. We can't say that God tempts us. He does not tempt us. He's a good God. These trials from within don't come from him. They come from our evil desires. We need to remember God's goodness and his good gifts. If we're going to defeat the trials within, we need to make sure that we're looking at God in the right way and looking at ourselves in the right way. So let me ask you this, is this how you, do you interpret the world? Is that your framework? Is God's goodness your lens for looking at the world and looking at your life and looking at your inner life? Or is that in doubt? Is there questions against that? You see, you're gonna call things that are good bad if you don't realize how good God is. You're gonna be deceived, you're gonna make that mistake. We have to have that lens of God's goodness. We need to look around and say, yes, God, is good. We need to look around and interpret our life events and what goes on through that framework, through that lens, God's goodness, because then everything else makes much more sense. And when we come to trials and difficulties from without within, we're not saying, is God tempting me? Is God messing with me? No, God's good. It says in Proverbs that the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart of his child. He doesn't tempt us. He's not trying to trip us up. He's trying to refine us. He's trying to bring out the gold. He's trying to make us more like Jesus. And so when we face trials and tribulations and challenges, we know God is good and he's at work. We're not questioning that. And we know that he's helping us to get through that, to endure, to persevere, to become more like Jesus as we do, to be refined. I just want us to finish by remembering one more thing and such an important thing. James talks about blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. He endured the cross for us. He took our sin, he took our failings, he took our brokenness, he took the punishment we deserved, 
on the cross. He's dealt with our sin. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. And yes, we face trials and difficulties from within and from without. We want to push through and endure and persevere. Keep our eye on the goal. We want to deal with our evil desires. But you know something? Jesus has walked that path already and he has been completely and utterly successful. And the word of God says this, we are in Christ and therefore gain all the benefits of Jesus. So we gain his righteousness. We're justified by his righteous acts. So if we fall short, if you fall into temptation, even today, we know the blood of Jesus covers us and we're able to enter the throne room of God with freedom and confidence. If I've messed up once, twice, 20 times a day, I'm in Christ. And he was never tempted. He never gave into temptation, sorry. He never sinned. So his perfection allows me to walk a life with Jesus that is so close. And he helps me deal with these things. So he secures for us the crown of life that we're looking forward to. Let's not pass the book. Let's not leave the difficult conversation with ourselves or with others till later. Let's be honest with ourselves and realize if we want to deal with the trial from within, we've got to get serious and look deeper inside ourselves. My encouragement is this, deal with your desires whilst focusing on the one who has dealt with your sin. Push through, be honest with yourself, but never lose sight of the fact that you're in him. He saved you and you're his forever. Amen.